Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the February edition of The Compliance Life. This month I am featuring another director of trade compliance who now has her own consulting firm, Ellen Smith. I've known Ellen for quite some time. We were both in the Houston compliance community. And Ellen, once again, has a fascinating journey to and from the director's chair for trade compliance. She has a lot of experience in law firm work and other areas I think you will find fascinating on this journey in the compliance life. In episode three, Ellen moves to the trade director's chair. The compliance life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and they'll be right back with Valerie Charles on The Compliance Life. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for Episode 3 and this month's The Compliance Life. I continue my visit with uh, Ellen Smith. Ellen, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. This is fun. Enjoying it. So, Ellen, uh, in this episode, you're going to tell us about moving to Houston and moving to Weatherford, where you and several others created a true dream team of compliance professionals and a wide variety of compliance disciplines. So, first of all, uh, you're in Chicago. How uh, did you get uh, to Texas? Yeah, you mentioned earlier that you heard a little twinge of Texan in my in my uh, speech here, and I always wonder if people can tell where I'm from because I started in Pennsylvania, moved to Chicago, 
uh, worked in Wisconsin, Yahader, um, for a little bit, and then, you know, off to Texas. Um, my, my husband has family in Texas, and uh, we decided as, as my, um, my oldest daughter was entering high school that it was time for one of us to stay home. Um, and so we both started looking for new jobs and decided, you know, whoever gets the bigger job first gets to work and the other one gets to take care of the, you know, uh, the kid that's going to high school and, and our younger one too. Um, and I started, you know, putting some feelers out. I had the opportunity um, to meet Linda Lexo and Rick Miller at Trade Compliance Recruiting. It's called something different at the time, but now that's their firm. Um, and they connected me with one of my favorite people of all time, Natalia Shahada. Um, Natalia was at Weatherford uh, as the director of trade compliance. Um, she does a whole lot of new, you know, bigger things these days. But at the time, she was director of trade compliance at Weatherford. She was fairly new to the role when I met her in November of 2009. Um, and uh, Natalia at the time was, uh, her background was in export controls and sanctions. And she was looking for a customs lawyer to sort of balance her out. Uh, we hit it off right away, and on the phone, um, I met her once before I made the move to Texas, and um, off we went. She she hired me to uh, be senior counsel at Weatherford in the compliance department. Um, I was in, as we talked about last time, I was in the apparel industry. I didn't know anything about oil and gas or oil field services um, other than, you know, it pull hydrocarbons out of the ground, and, and that's really the extent of it. So I, I felt like I had a huge learning curve, but what I knew was supply chain. And I, I really understood how supply chain worked at, at um, Jockey. And that same, those, that same supply chain mentality with sourcing and procurement and uh, logistics, you know, is transferable to any industry. So I think I brought a lot of value to Weatherford from both the compliance perspective, um, I'm sorry, the customs compliance perspective and the, um, uh, the supply chain perspective and the operational sort of practical advice for, I think I'm kind of known for. So uh, we decided as a family to move to Texas. Um, we had family in, in the Houston area, so the, the move was easier. Uh, my girls, we talked to my girls um, at the time, I think they were 14 and 8, they said, yeah, let's give it a try. And, and as long as we have a swimming pool in the backyard, we'll go. And so that that was their one request. And, and we made that happen. Um, so here we are in Houston, Texas. If you've worked in the energy industry, literally over the past 20 years, you have either one gone through a compliance investigation two gone through a compliance enforcement action, or three, uh, gone through the settlement of a compliance enforcement action where you may or may not have had a monitor. I've been privileged to hit that trifecta. So I have some understanding of that. And, and what that did in the city of Houston, though, in my opinion, uh, Ellen, is everyone had to take their game up and everyone had to learn. And we had to learn either under the eye of the Department of Justice, Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, or other government agency. And we had to dot every I and cross every T. And then if you had an enforcement action against you, you may have a robust uh, settlement agreement, which required additional uh, compliance work. Uh, the end result, though, I think in the city of Houston, because of its unique place in the energy world, uh, really has some of the top talent in 
compliance in a wide variety of compliance disciplines. And uh, when you went to Weatherford, they were in a pretty tough pickle, frankly. Uh, they had lots of allegations that touched all the way from trade to corruption. And so I really wanted to, to ask you, one, what was it like to work with the talent to talent level of people you worked with? And then two, you guys were under scrutiny and you guys were under pressure. And, and sort of how did you uh, work through each one of those issues to the satisfaction of of a wide variety of government regulators. Not just government regulators, the satisfaction of the company too, because there was so much change going on. Um, I will tell you the only way that that it that it we got through it was because of the team that was put together. And at the time, Billy Jacobson um, was hired to be the the chief compliance officer. Billy brought Natalia Shahada um, in for the as director of trade compliance, and Adrian Mabane in um, as the uh, director of ethics and compliance and Adrian and Natalia built these dream teams. Um, and we call those years at Weatherford uh, dog years. It felt like we were there for, you know, I, when I look back at my time at Weatherford and I was there from 2010, the beginning of 2010 to the end of 2013, I feel like I was at Weatherford for 20 years um, because of the amount of work that we did, but we were all, gelling so well because we were all just dedicated to to really building the best compliance program that anyone had ever seen um, and we wanted to do it innovatively we wanted if that's a word um, we wanted to be innovative we wanted to really change the culture of the company and we just really wanted to make sure that it was going to be spot on just the best the best of the best um, and, and the company was allowing us to do that. Um, the company knew it was in trouble. Uh, you know, they were obviously under investigation by the DOJ. As you said, there was corruption issues. There was um, sanctions issues, export control issues. Uh, the, you know, there, were, there was an office that had been raided um, in, in the Houston area. So there was a lot going on. The company was scared. They wanted to do the right thing. Um, and to, you know, I think, Across the board, Weatherford, we, we used to, Weatherford was kind of like, you know, Cowboy Central and it really lived to up to that sort of Texas um, uh, uh, mentality that 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 goes with with the word Texas. Um, but what we found as we were going out and talking to people is they wanted to talk to people like us that knew what we were talking about, that were experts in this field of importing and exporting. So really, I'm going to focus on the trade side of this. Um, you know, when we went out and trained people, they're like, we, we want to know what to do. We don't know what is the right thing. Tell us what the right thing is. And for the first time, I think, in, in probably, you know, from at least the Department of Commerce and other, other um, trade side views, we operationalized trade compliance. And we built in the trade compliance requirements into what the company needed to do through a program that Natalia um, spearheaded and that uh, a woman by the name of Melissa Bohannon and I sort of helped Natalia really dig in and, and get this um, out to the company at the time. I think, I don't know, there was like 70,000 or 60,000 employees. Um, we were in 80 countries around the world. So we were... We were constantly on the move. We were working 24 seven. Um, it was a lot of hard work, but it was a great team and we all inspired each other and, and kept going. 
And then when we, uh, you know, when it going got really hard, Natalia brought us Crave cupcakes, and, and that just really helped. <laughs> So, uh, Natalia, actually, I've had her on uh, The Compliance Life, but I was wondering if you could uh, maybe say a few words about Billy Jacobson. Uh, I know Billy, I won't say well, but he's one of the most gracious uh, people I've ever come across. He seems to be uh, on an even keel, and that uh, as the ships are firing left and right at you, he seemed to be able to, to handle those. But could you give us maybe just a few words on, on Billy? Another one of my favorite people, just um, so smart, so intelligent, and um, just compassionate as well. Uh, like you said, just even keel, never saw him ruffled, um, which I think is, is exactly what you want in a chief compliance officer, and especially one going through what we had to go through at Weatherford. Um, but he also, he knew how to build a team. He knew how to put out a vision. Um, so think of this, you know, this middle-aged lawyer coming in to um, customs compliance lawyer moving to Texas from the apparel industry, hitting the, the, this group that's under so much pressure um, in the oil and gas space. And I knew from day one what our vision was. And it wasn't just, yeah, we want a best-in-class trade compliance program. It was, we want to dig into this company and we want to we want to make sure that um, everybody knows what the right thing to do. And, you know, there's a whole lot more into that vision. But Billy was really good. And, and Natalia and Adrian, all three of them, they were all really good at really um, uh, being able to verbalize that vision and make sure that everybody knew what we were going to do. But, um, you know, I, I, Billy was not a trade guy, but he we would have trade issues come up. And I remember being in an office with him and Natalia telling him about a customs issue that we had. And he, he, you know, he just grasped it. He knew exactly, you know, with, with whatever, you know, probably nervous language I was, I was throwing at him. He was able to, um, you know, understand what the issue was and just, you know, help, help us move through it. Just an amazing guy. So Weatherford did uh, settle with the government. Uh, I thought uh, it was an excellent settlement no doubt uh, due in, in large part, I think, because of the remediation efforts you and the team you were on uh, put on during the pendency of the investigation. But after the settlement came out, you still had obligations, and you still had to, uh, under the Deferred Prosecution Agreement, I think, and you still had to, uh, on an annual basis, report into the government. So there was still oversight. I was wondering if you could say a few words about really what happens after the settlement and you're under, whether it's a DPA, MPA, or, or other settlement agreement? Well, I would love to, but I wasn't there. So I had left, okay. at that time, I had left Weatherford at, at 2013, right before um, they they finally settled. Uh, so Weatherford did, in fact, have both a monitor on the, on the, um, on the anti-bribery and corruption side, the FCPA side, and an auditor on the, on the uh, trade compliance side, um, that was a, a particular honor that they had. Um, and they, you know, I think I will say this, that I think the program that we put in place, um, really helped the, the team app, you know, I had left already, but the team continued to be able to meet the requirements of both the auditor and, and the monitor, um, because we really did work to operationalize. And, and that was the first time I really heard about, you know, operationalizing or making, 
and today it's effective trade, you know, effective trade compliance programs or effective anti-bribery and corruption programs. And that means really, you know, digging in and making sure people are doing it as part of their day-to-day job. Um, and that's what we were able to create. You know, I can't think of a better way to end a podcast on compliance where you're talking about uh, people putting compliance into their day-to-day jobs. Um, and, but before we get to the end, did you have any favorite adopted sayings from your Weatherford tenure? I, I tell everybody, I mean, Talia and I remain really, really good friends. And um, she's just taught me so much. She is my ultimate mentor, um, even though she's a lot younger than I am. But she's just a, such an amazing leader. Uh, but one of my favorite phrases from Natalia is, is no filter. And, you know, she would start conversations, say, okay, no filter. And she'd just say what she needed to say. And that, you know, seeing her being able to do that gave me the confidence to start doing that in my career as well. And, um, you know, I think with I a lot of the folks that I've worked with, either on my team or, or um, you know, up managers and, and others, I just feel like, you know, they, they know what you see is what you get with me. And um, I, I don't really have much of a poker face. You can't see it on this podcast, but, <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're going to read what's in my face, um, what I'm feeling. And uh, so I, I, I adopted that from Natalia, and, and I, I use that phrase quite a bit. Um, the other one, that's, that's the no filter phrase. Um, the other one is, is and I, there's, a, there's a gesture that goes along with this arm in arm. And um, when I'm talking to uh, companies about putting a trade compliance program in place, um, I always tell them the, the program that I want to put in place for them, uh, either whether it was when I, in my in-house career or, or with clients, I don't ever want it to be sort of the ivory tower legal team, um, just putting out procedures and saying, go, go forth and, and figure this out yourselves. It's going to be an arm-in-arm thing um, that the legal team and the compliance team have to be arm-in-arm with the business to build that, to build that uh, uh, those compliance procedures into that day-to-day. Right back to to what you said, the great way to end, right into that day-to-day um, work that that needs to be done. Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for our <clears throat> final episode where we're going to talk about your move to Baker Hughes and then your move into the consulting world. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Me too. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening <coughs> to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.